0: oh goodness uh, let's pray in preparation for the preaching of the word um, Heavenly Father I pray that you'd be with us uh, this morning help me to um, help me to unpack the, the the scriptures for for the folks who are here today help me to um, point uh, point everyone in the direction of the gospel in the direction of who Jesus is in our lives who he has called us to be um, I pray that you would speak to us and help us to draw into your presence into his presence today as as we, we uh, as we dig into what your Word has to say, I pray that you would help me to be uh, faithful in, in preaching and help me to just get out of the way of what you what you have today. Um, Lord, help me to help me to just just point to you. And I pray, Lord God, that folks who are here that their their hearts would be open to hearing uh, your Spirit speak, and and I pray that they would hear you and that they would be moved to know you more. In Christ's name, Amen. I'm going to shuffle a little bit. This stuff over here is making me nervous. It's too much in my peripheral. Um, when, oh golly, a few years ago, it's actually well before I moved out here, there was a uh, very successful book and movie that uh, was very popular. A lot of people uh, saw it and, uh, and, and read the book, and it's actually given birth to a really strange movement. Uh, that I wanted to talk about a little bit this morning. And, and I actually uh, uh, read about this years ago and could not find the article. It made me crazy. I could not figure out where I had read it, and I couldn't find the original article. But um, the fellow in this photo, is uh, his name is Chris McCandless. Do you all know who he is? Oh, like two of you. <laughs> he, uh, he is the subject of the book and movie, Into the Wild. He is a fellow who, uh, having finished college, uh, with actually I think he finished in a very stellar manner, and he was like headed toward great things in life. He he walked away from everything he owned and from, you know, his family and everything else, and lived as a homeless person, like like traveling the country as a, as a tramp. Actually, I think is how he referred to himself, uh, and and he traveled all over, and eventually he found his way to Alaska. And actually, he had talked about going to Alaska because it was beautiful and. The last great frontier and all of this other stuff. And he goes up to Alaska and he he hitchhikes out into the middle of nowhere and starts hiking, and finds a bus actually. And the bus was in the middle of nowhere, uh, and it was actually there because uh, it was it was workers who were up there doing doing odds and ends like for whatever the government had them doing. And the bus broke down and they just left it, and it became sort of this this safety point for hunters where they would go and sleep in it if they got hurt or if they got snowed in or whatever and and he lived there for uh, just a few months actually and and in that time like he journaled and he wrote and he like the film makes it look I like it's like it's amazing and exceptional because I and I haven't been to Alaska it's the only state I have not visited yet but my understanding is that it is beautiful and like it is it is breathtaking it is it is like one of the last natural places on the planet and and this guy, he was there, and he was looking for that beauty and the isolation. And actually, if you read about him, he wanted danger. He wanted to live on the edge as close to, you know, the, the, as far away from the safety net as he could. And so he went and actually was on his way without enough equipment or anything. And, like, people would give him things like, like cold weather gear and Um, in the movie, actually, as he's getting out of the truck to go hiking, he's wearing sneakers and the guy gives him a pair of boots. He's like, you're going to, you're going to die. Like, dude, like take my boots. Um, and as a matter of fact, he died. He starved to death in this bus in the Alaskan wilderness. And, um, like the, the, again, very, very widely distributed book. And people have become enraptured by this book and they travel to this bus, And, um, one of the, you know, like, it's like this whole movement where people want to live on the road, like a Jack Kerouac kind of thing or whatever. And they want to experience the beauty of nature and the freedom of being homeless or whatever. And, and they go to this bus because they're like, oh, well, he understood, he knew what it was like, and, and, and all that. But like, if you talk to Alaskans, I talked to at least one Alaskan or former Alaskan about this, but I also read quite a bit, the nearest town. Um, The residents discourage people from going to the bus, even though like hundreds and hundreds of people travel to this thing every year. And they they do things like I I read about one account where a guy was going and a local lied to him and said, hey, there's a forest fire. You can't get to it because almost every, you know, like this huge percentage of people who go out to this bus. um, They're as ill prepared as this Chris McCandless guy was. He identified something he thought was beautiful, which I would say we all would objectively think it was beautiful, and like like I think most of us would like about five minutes alone at least once in a while. Um, Everybody with kids knows what I'm talking about. Um, And and like, like he wanted this, and he wanted the danger, and he thought, well, I can live close to the danger, and I'll be okay. And like most of the people who go to the danger just to see it, like have to be rescued by park rangers. They spend a, a gajillion dollars every year rescuing like suburbanites who think, oh, I'm going to go into the Alaskan wilderness and be fine. But they're not prepared. They underestimate the danger because the beauty catches their attention and the wildness and the excitement draws them in. And then they find themselves trapped. One article I read said that um, this, this reporter was out there with a guide. And the guide's like, well, this guy had no business being here. He starved to death like they crossed a river to get there. And he's like, look, you know, there's so many salmon in this river. You could push them out with a stick. <laughs> there's so many things to eat here. And this, this guy starved to death. Actually, he was starving and he ate poisonous plants that killed him because he had no idea what he was doing. Um, what does this have to do with what we're talking about, you might wonder? And actually, I have a picture of the bus in a little space. He was lucky he found the bus or he would have been, you know, like with nothing. He kind of got lucky in that regard, or unlucky, because he didn't belong there. Um, we're kind of working through a series on the different sojourners in the Bible, and we talked about, I don't know how many people saw it, it, was I streamed it, it was way too long because if I'm not in front of a group of people looking bored, I don't hurry up and finish. Uh, well, we talked about Abraham last week, where Abraham was the first sojourner in, a, in the Bible, and he was like the model the perfect one not perfect he was the best one in the lot um this week we're going to talk about his nephew lot yeah i know it's really hard to search for lot in any sort of like like software because lot is a, is a very common word um he should have had a better name um but lot is a guy who traveled with abraham and then tries to make his home where he doesn't belong. He is a sojourner with Abraham, and instead of sojourning, he says, I want to put down roots and live right here. And he does kind of what McCandless does. He picks a spot, and the spot is dangerous. And the spot is not within God's will for him. The spot is, like, and he begins to see the problems, and he stays because it's so much fun. And it's so pretty, and it's so nice, and it's so comfortable. And he he ends up sort of ruined by it. We're going to dig into that. I spent way too much time getting to the, uh, the background here. Sojourning, just so you know, uh, sojourning is the act of living somewhere where you're not at home. So like in the ancient world, uh, Abraham, in the chapter before the one we're talking about today, Abraham goes and he sojourns in Egypt for a little while because there's a drought and they're all like going to die if they stay in Canaan. So they go to Egypt, which is beautiful and full of water and produce because they get the Nile River and a bunch of other stuff going on. And he lives, but he lives in the promised land and he lives in Egypt and neither of them is really his home. They're somebody else's land and he just lives there for a while. Um, they're, they're, like that's the idea. And in the ancient world, sojourners were treated... Oftentimes by, like, they had no legal rights, or they had special status, or what have you. Like, it is a, but it's a difficult way to live. Like, how many of y'all vacation, and after about a week, you're ready to go home? Like, let's ask it this way. How many of you visit your in-laws, and after about a week, you're ready to go home? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. You'll get in trouble. We've been following this series through Psalm 105, and we're not going to go into that today, because a lot isn't mentioned. Um, but the first person mentioned in our text that we've dug through here is is Abraham, who is called a servant of the Lord, which is a very rare title. Um, Abraham is one of, the, like, five people that get that put on them in the Old Testament. And, and, like, it says that he believed the Lord, meaning the promises God gave him about a land and descendants and everything else, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that word righteous, we got to define it real quick. I know it's a lot of front material, but, like, just follow me here. To be righteous before God, oftentimes we read this and we assume it means I'm good, I'm well-behaved, I am you know doing a great job of being perfect and obeying God and I'm better than the neighbor and everything else. That is not righteousness. It's not. The biblical definition of righteousness, as it appears in the Old Testament, is a legal status. And it refers to you before God. Are you cool in your relationship with God? That's not a theological term. Uh, So don't try looking it up that way or a lot. But if you are right with God because your relationship with him is right, that means you are righteous. Abraham is righteous before God because he believed God. He believed the promises God gave him. And we talked about that another week, that he basically believed in Jesus before Jesus because God promised Abraham Jesus. And he believed him, and so he believed in Jesus. And because Jesus died for his sins, like That righteousness of Jesus is put on Abraham, and Abraham's sin is all put on Jesus when he was crucified, and that's how it works. So righteousness is not about being well-behaved. It's not about being perfect. It's about being in the right relationship with God. By the way, if you are a person who believes you have to be good to get to heaven, this is about the best news you can possibly get. You cannot be perfect. You cannot be good enough. You can only be right before God by believing in Jesus. That's it. That's it. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to attend church more than anyone else. You don't have to do any of that stuff. Like, it's believing in Christ that makes you righteous. Everything else that we do as believers is following from that, from following Jesus. Um, so, Lot's story really quick. Abraham leaves his home, which is in, like, Babylon. Think, like, Iran, Iraq area, like, way over there. And he travels because God told him to. And he brings part of his family with him. Lot, the nephew. And over time, he gets no mentions until writers are coming back from Egypt. He's mentioned in the family tree and a couple other spots, but no real serious stuff. So he's in Egypt with his uncle. And Egypt, in the Bible, Old Testament, anytime you read about Egypt, Egypt is a, like they're the enemy, always. They're, they're sinful people. They basically, later in the story, they keep the Jews as slaves for about 500 years. It's pretty bad. Um, like, at times, Israel tries to, like, have treaties with Egypt, and God gets mad about it. Like, Egypt is always the bad guy. So he's gone through Egypt, this foreign land where he doesn't belong, and he comes back. And, like, as they are there, we're going to pick up in chapter 13, if you've got a Bible. I'm just getting to the Bible. We're 11 minutes in. So uh, we cannot dally. So... um Lot, his first real weighty mention, is in um, is in chapter 13 of the book of Genesis. And what's going on is is God is blessing Abraham, and the more God blesses Abraham, the more the people around him get blessed. And so Lot has accumulated a lot of wealth in terms of like like flocks and workers and everything else. It's huge. Like household and business and everything else, and they're both in Canaan, and like they're discovering, yeah, there's not enough wells and there's not enough grazing land, and like this is a problem. And the sh- the shepherds of the two families start fighting with each other, and finally Abraham comes to Lot and in chapter 13 um, says, right, "What are we going to do here, guy? Like, like what what's the plan? How are we going to manage?" And ultimately says, "Like, let's just go our separate ways. You go one way, I'll go the other." Whatever you want. Um, So that starts in verse 8. Let Let's see if I can find it here. Um, Then Abram. By the way, Abram and Abraham are the same person. God changes his name later. It's a whole other conversation we're not going to get into right now. But Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, meaning let's not fight, we're family. right? Like in, in the ancient world in the middle east till today in the middle east family is like a huge deal but in the ancient world family was a really huge deal you were all about like honoring your family and taking care of each other and and watching out for each other actually paul goes so far as to say if a believer doesn't take care of his own family he's worse than an unbeliever Like, (laughs) like it's a big deal family is everything so i'm picking up an eight uh sorry that was a little aside um is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, Abraham's doing something unusual. He is giving Lot a choice. Why is that unusual? Because Abraham is the older one. As the older one, he gets first pick, always. Ancient world, that is just how it worked. Older brother got everything, or got double inheritance, and the younger brothers divided up everything between themselves. And like, like the, the oldest man in the family deserved honor and revere and everything else, Abraham could have gone to Lot and said, All right, buddy, I'm sick of you. You go over there. Don't, don't bother me anymore. You could have done it. But he didn't. He gave Lot a choice. Why on earth would he give him a choice? Well, it's possible he wasn't very confrontational, which I think is part of it, but I think a bigger part of it is Abraham knew God had promised him stuff. And he's like, God promised me whatever I get, like, I'm not going to be home. I'm going to be living on the road for the rest of my life, basically. Like, like, God promised me my own land and homeland and everything else. But I'm not going to, like, I'm going to live traveling. And so it doesn't matter where I go. And so he lets Lot pick because he trusted, well, wherever I end up is where God's sending me. He, he leads my path anyway. I can't get away from him. And so Lot like has a choice now lots choice uh is interesting and this is really where we're going to dig in today we're going to try and look at this in you know not super in depth but in depth enough uh there's a lot more than i'm going to be able to not be able to get to this is 10 11 uh in chapter 13 sorry my eyes are awful uh you get bigger glasses um, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zohar. Um, this was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in, or Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So, there's a lot going on there that's really easy to miss because there is this cool thing that ancient Jewish writers would do, right? They would, um, they would take. Uh, they would take a text and parallel it with another text using the same words and phrases. Got it? So, like, you would read this, and you would recognize, well, that was a weird word choice. That was a weird way to phrase this. That was an unusual thing to say. And, and you would start to pick up on that if you really knew this stuff. And you memorized it, so you would notice. Um, I would probably liken it to a song. Like, you ever notice when a song chorus, like, goes really near another song chorus? Or like when a melody goes really near another melody and it's like ingrained in your brain. Like, oh, wait a minute. That sounds like that. That's what's happening here. So he is paralleling the story here. Lot making a choice with Genesis 2 and 3. It's wrong on the slide. I'm sorry. And Genesis 6. There are two sets of choices that are made in these chapters. I lost a piece of paper. There it is. There are two sets of choices that are made in these chapters. And... They're both bad. The first is Eve is in the garden, and the serpent comes. And like, did God really say not to eat off this tree? Did God really tell you this? And Eve starts looking, and she starts thinking, and she's like, wow, that, that does look good. Maybe I should just try it. Maybe I should just do this thing. And in, then she eats the apple, and man falls, and everything goes haywire, which, by the way, is the reason women can never pick where we're going to go eat, because the last time they picked, the world went to, like, Heck, and so they don't ever choose the restaurant. Men just own it. Moving right <laughs> along, that was not in the Bible. I just, just a little bit of editorializing. Um, the other one is a little more difficult. It's considered one of the problem passages in the scripture. Uh, is Genesis chapter six, and it talks about the idea of the sons of God saw the daughters of of uh, man and fell in love with them and started you know, choosing from amongst them and marrying them. I don't want to get into it really deep. Like It is basically what prompted the flood. God's like, all right, that's it. I'm done with you. We're flooding the place. Um, it's complicated. It is a very difficult verse linguistically. It's very obscure. There are people who argue, oh, those are angels, or they're not angels, or they're ancient kings, or they're this, or they're that. Like, it's, it's too much, and I, I really don't want to divert into that but just be aware so these two stories 3 and 6 they parallel with um with what lot is doing so lot looks and the text talks about his eyes you know he turns his eyes on the east and he says wow look at how beautiful it all is which is what eve does and then like like it's goes from eyes to specifically mentioning that she you know eve saw that it was good and like lot saw that the land was really well watered and it was beautiful the description of the jordan valley is actually almost exactly the way god describes the garden of eden and like um including how it was watered and everything else um the garden itself like the word garden is used in both um like like the parallels go on and on and on and on um and I don't want to do all of them right now, the other thing that's going to jump out at people who read this in the ancient world um, is the mention of Egypt. Why? Because when the Jewish people get out of Egypt, Moses leads them out, and this is like a thousand years later, but Moses leads them out, and they're they're free from slavery in Egypt, and the first thing that the people do is they're like, well, the food here is awful. Can't we go back to slavery? like man there's not enough water can we go back why did you bring us out here can we just go back to being slaves and like like over and over and over and over again and part of what Lot is doing is he's looking and he's like looking in the way of like the, the sons of God or Eve where he's like tempted I could walk away from this Abraham guy and all this sojourning nonsense All of this traveling around just because God told us to. I could leave him. I could go to this nice place. I know God wants us to travel together, but I could go over here. And he starts looking at Sodom. And actually the phrasing in there, and I didn't highlight it at the time, and you can look at different translations and it handles it funny um, because the phrasing is obscure where he says he pitched his tent towards Sodom or the opening of his tent towards Sodom. And the idea there is he's looking at the city of Sodom and he's like, I want to go over there. This is the place I want to go. And actually, by the time we encounter Lot at the end of his story, he ain't living in a tent anymore. He's got a house in Sodom, right? Because he said, look, God wants me to travel here, but instead of traveling, I'm going to go find a house in this place. This place I just don't belong. And so, like, all of these parallels is pointing to the fact that Lot is choosing not to follow God's directions, choosing to walk away from Abram rather than trying to figure out how to work it out or make things better. By the way, there should be a warning in that for just about everybody in the world. A lot of times we look at things that God puts in front of us and we say it would be so much easier to walk away right now. Man, the grass is greener over there. I wish I could jump over the fence. And we look for those things and we don't always realize that like the grass may look greener because like the autumn was greener. But jumping over that fence and disobeying God is a way to destroy your life. It just is. God ultimately destroys Sodom. Um, Jump ahead to 10 and 11. Uh, Parallels. Actually, I may have already preached all this stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, I get ahead of myself. It's just how I am because I get excited because it's interesting to me. Y'all who are still awake probably also sort of find it interesting. Um, So eventually he goes to Sodom. And we don't hear about him very much. Like he gets... He gets kidnapped by a warlord and dragged off into slavery. And Abraham goes and saves him and brings him back to Sodom. And like, like then finally, God hits this point where he's like, All right, I'm done with Sodom. I'm done with this place. Um, before we get to that, um, we're going to look at this idea of trying to make your home where you shouldn't. Because like that's the Chris McCandless story, right? This is a guy who had absolutely no business no business at all living in the wilderness in alaska he wasn't prepared he didn't know what he was doing he could have i mean like he tries to escape at one point and the river has gotten really thick because of snow melt or something like that and he's looking at it and he's like oh well i guess i'll go home and he could have walked like two miles up the river like like shore and gotten to a ford and just crossed and gotten out but he didn't do it because he didn't know what he was doing He had no business. He was attracted to the danger. He was attracted to the beauty. He was attracted to the things he wanted, but he didn't take into account the danger of what he was doing. In moving to Sodom, in walking away from God's promise, Abram, or Lot, Lot chooses to make a home where he shouldn't. Same as Chris. Um, One of the things that we find out in the scriptures, like this sojourning theme, this traveling theme, is... Emphasize so heavily because christ is our rest like like they call the promised land oh that'll be your rest and you won't enter into my rest um that's all about jesus where jesus is our rest even sabbath like remember the sabbath day and keep it holy that's not about taking saturdays off it's about realizing that we need to stop and spend time with god and ultimately the new testament teaches us that Christ is our Sabbath rest, and so we have to remember Christ and spend time with him weekly, like constantly, and we find rest in him. We cannot find rest in this world. Lot is told, follow Abraham, go with Abraham, go with Abraham, and he stops and he says, I want this rest. Um, and a lot of believers do that. We say, I should have rest in Christ, but instead we find rest in things that we have no business finding rest in we try to make our homes in places we have no business making our home and it's dangerous um so lot looked at the rest of the world he didn't just abandon all his faith right like that's important to understand because like peter talks about him later he doesn't walk away from his faith he does walk away from god's promises and those like promises were so far in the future they were so distant. They were so unclear. Abraham didn't get most of the promises fulfilled until long after his death. And like Lot is looking at, him, he's like, "Well, I don't want to wait until I die. I want what I want now, right? I want it now. Don't care how I want it now." Isn't that that's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? I love that song. But that's the idea here. Is like, why would I work? Um, I can have what I want now. And it's very easy to say. Look, I know I'm following Christ. I know God has called me to something different. I know there's a certain life I'm supposed to live. I know I've made these commitments. I know this is what my life's supposed to be. But, man, I could do this now and it would feel good. Man, I could do this now and it would be fun. Man, like forgiveness is one of those. I want, I do not like forgiving people. You know how hard it is to forgive people who really hurt you? Man, it is hard. You know how much fun it is to be bitter and angry? (laughs) Oh, it feels good, doesn't it? feels a lot better than forgiving. It is the difference between obeying Christ, though, and receiving the reward in the distance, the rest in Christ, or doing what you want to do now and getting the payment now. Um, One of those phrases I use often in joking, uh, quasi-joking, is hard work always pays off, but laziness pays off now. (laughs) Right? Like, do what I want now and get what I want, but... I won't ever have accomplishment. I won't ever do what God wants me to do. Um, So for us, how do we make ourselves at home in a place that isn't our home? In the world, we do this when God becomes a decoration in our life. You ever get that? Like where God becomes this thing that's sort of out there, and like we give him window dressing or like like sort of in passing, and it's not the front and center of everything that we are. Like it, it becomes something else. We make our place in this world when um, our own righteousness, our own behavior, our own goodness is what makes us good to God. And it gives us an excuse to judge everyone else. That's it. Like, I'm only righteous because of Christ. There is nothing good about me. You spend some time with me, you'll know. I sin a lot. Ask my family. I am an imperfect person. um, But I'm an imperfect person who Christ has forgiven and who Christ is making better. Little steps by little steps by little steps. Little steps. And I'm forgiven. Um, So let's dig into what it costs Lot. Like he makes his home in the world. What does it cost him? First off, he can't find peace there. There's no peace in the world for someone who belongs to God. Why? Well, it's actually in uh, James. And I, well, I don't want to skip ahead. Um, So at the end of his story, we find where Lot is living in Sodom. And Sodom is awful. It is a terrible place. And um, Peter, golly, I was just on it. Sorry, this, I'm flaky. Two, seven, and eight, and I even underlined it. Um, and uh, excuse me. Uh, if turning, we're going to start at six. If turning, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly dist- righteous Lot, who was greatly distressed. By the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as the righteous man who lives among them day after day, he was, torment, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, what does that mean? So Lot is living in Sodom. Not aside here. Uh, I don't know if I talk about it. No, I don't. Um, so a little aside here. Lot is in Sodom is living there when the angels so this is in chapter 19 when the angels show up and they're going to destroy the place right it is over we're going to we're going to wipe this place out a lot is sitting in the gateway of the city in the ancient world the people who sat in the gateway all day were people who had authority, like governors or rulers. And so Lot has probably, there's one or two explanations I got here. He's either risen to a point that he has authority to sit in the entryway of the city and judge cases and be the representative of the city, which a lot of, a lot of scholars agree with this one. He has gained so much acceptance in Sodom that they're like, you rock, you're in charge. And so he meets these strangers who come into the city that are angels, and, and he, he talks to them and they're like, Oh, we're gonna, they're like, Well, we're, we're here. We're gonna go sleep in the city square. And lots are like, Oh, no, 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 no. You're not sleeping in the city square. Come to my house. And like, No, we're good. We're gonna sleep in the city square. And he's like, Nope, 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 nope. You don't sleep in the city square. Come to my house. And he insists and encourages and finally convinces them to come home with him. Why? Because bad stuff's gonna happen. It's a little like living in, my brother commutes to San Francisco every day. I don't mean to pick on California, but it's just so easy. Uh, I would not sleep on the street in San Francisco. I wouldn't walk on the street and, like, at night in San Francisco. Why? I'd get killed, right? Or robbed, or beat up, or whatever. In this case, the people of Sodom would find visitors and have their way with them, to put it very gently, since we have kids in the room. If but they were, it was a very aggressive, a very nasty place. And what ends up happening is Lot brings these guys home, and the whole town, every man in town shows up, and they're like, we know there are strangers there. Send them out here. We're going to have our fun with them, right? And I think the other possibility, either he's a ruler or Lot made it a habit like to use his free time in the city gate because he's like, yeah, I need to protect people who come through here because I'm not letting that happen. And that would explain why he was so insistent, come to my house, I will protect you. Because he knows what this place is. And sure enough, they show up at his house and they're like, send them out. You know the rule. And he's like, no, this is a wicked thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they turn on him. They're like, Lot, who made you our judge? You're a sojourner. You're a stranger. Who made you our judge? We're going to do worse to you when we're done. And then Lot's like, hey, I got daughters. Want my daughters? Like, which sounds horrible, and it is horrible. Lot is obeying a certain rule that was prominent in the ancient world, which is the rule of hospitality. He had to protect strangers to the death, but he does so by offering them his daughters, which is a whole lot of bad, too, because Lot is unable to live in this place without being infected by it. You cannot sit close to danger and assume that danger will never impact you. Um, I read about a photographer in Chernobyl years ago who like died of leukemia. Want to know why? Because if you go to Chernobyl every day and take pictures, you're going to be exposed to radiation. You're going to die. That's it. Like, that's how it works. Lot is exposed to this. Their behavior troubles him, but Lot's behavior isn't perfect. And we begin to see that. Like when he offers his daughters to this crowd, like, Hey, take my kids. I, like, it was just not the right way to go. Um, and so Lot is unable to find peace. And for a believer, anybody who follows Christ, you will ultimately never find peace in this world. When I, when I was drinking heavily, when I, my, my alcoholism was, was in full bloom like 20 years ago now, I think. I, part of that was like I was never happy. I was never comfortable. Because if you live in the world, you won't be comfortable. And you have to find escapes. And people look for escapes to soothe their heart. And all they're really doing is hardening their heart. And it destroys us. Um, And so they couldn't find peace there. He couldn't find any peace. Number two, he exits the promise. He's walked away from the promise God made to Abraham. And, like, if you follow his lineage, nothing good happens. We're not going to get into that either. But, like, if you read the whole story, man, it's awful. Um, He ends up losing everything in the end. If God hadn't destroyed the city, he would have lost everything because the people would have taken it from him. If he had stayed, he would have been killed. In the process of running away, he loses everything. And so Lot walks away from God's gift for them for something easy, and he throws it all away. And he ends up with nothing. He loses his wife. By the way, his wife, on the way back, out of town, Jesus cites this. He's like, hey, don't be like Lot's wife. Don't stop and look back. Whoever tries to you know, save their life and live in the world will lose it. You have to give up everything to follow Jesus. It's not a small commitment. It is a, I will belong to him. He will lead me. I will follow. That is it. And the more we try to stand on both sides of the fence, the more trouble we get in. For Lot, his wife... Like, ultimately, should have, like, he, part of the ideal for the ancient world is you taught your wife through your example. You became, like, your wife would increasingly become like you and what you believed. And she was in the world in a place that was going to infect her, and she looks back and she gets turned into a pillar of salt. By the way, Sodom is probably where the Dead Sea is. Like, as they've drained the Dead Sea for water desalinization, they found the remnants of what they think is Sodom. Because not only is the city destroyed, it's also, like, Salted over and like a barren wasteland where nothing can live. That's it. The Jordan Valley, which was so pretty, became nothing. It became uninhabitable. If you walk on the shore of the Dead Sea, there's like six feet thick salt everywhere. It's gone. Because this world will not survive. The only thing that will survive is God's promises. The only thing that will survive is those who are in Christ. So his daughters are nearly lost. And they are completely corrupted in the end. They, well, they have children by their father uh, later through conniving and grossness. We're not going to talk about it today. But they're corrupted. I don't think that just happened. I think that was them hanging out in Sodom and saying, well, here we go. This is what we're going to do. That's crazy. But the more you live in the world, the more you will teach your kids that living in the world is a thing you can get away with. Um, he actually was going to have his daughters marry locals, uh, and his whole lineage ends up all screwed up because they're all inbred and stuff like that, but also because um, like they fight the Israel, Israelites over the land, which is a great parallel from before and after and all this other stuff, but like at the end of the day, what Lot ends up with is nothing. Everything gets destroyed. His wife is gone. His kids are ruined. He tried to marry his kids off to locals because he was disobeying God and doing it, but this is where I am. This is where my house is, everything else. Instead of following God, a stranger in this world, he made his home here, and he ends up with nothing. But Second Peter says he's righteous. How could he be righteous after all that? Because your righteousness is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. It's based on how God perceives you through Christ. That is it. And that's the good news of the whole story. Lot is a terrible sojourner. He's a terrible sojourner. He's a sojourner who says, well, I live here now. doesn't work. Um, us, we are called to be different, okay? We're called to be different. We're called to not live in this world like it's our home. Like Paul says it over and over again. This world is not our home. Like, like he, he compares us to soldiers on deployment. Don't get involved in local matters. This is not your home. You belong to God's army. Your home is heaven. Don't do it. Um, James goes as far. James, the book of James is basically a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And James says to be friends with the world is to be enemies with God, uh, which is an expansion on Jesus when he says no man can serve two masters. He'll love one or hate the other. You can't love God and money at the same time. Um, but the church often loves money. Believers often love money. We love acceptance. We like people who like us and think we're awesome and everything else. Like, we, we like these things. And we begin to serve two masters, and we become friends of the world, and we make ourselves enemies of God. Does that mean we're unforgiven suddenly? I don't think it does. Like, Lot gets away with an awful lot. Uh, sorry, I hate that name. Um, second thing for us. So, first off, understand, like, you can't do it. You can't do both sides. You belong to Christ or you belong to the world. There is no both sides of this. Um, if we're in Christ, we're not of this world. And Jesus talks about this. Our our home is heaven. And uh, I do want to read John 17. Actually, maybe I won't drop in bookmarks. Uh, in John 17, one of the things that Christ talks about in relation to his disciples, um, I did drop my bookmark, doggone it, uh, but I opened right to it. How convenient is that? Um Jesus is praying. He says, I do not ask you. He's praying for his disciples. He's talking to God. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen. I've consecrated myself. Jesus is about to offer himself as a sacrifice. They're going to be forgiven as a result, but they're going to have to live in this world, and they're never going to have a proper home. Why? Because even if the world begins to accept you, you'll discover, like Lot, that the moment you put your feet down and say, hey, I'm not cool with this, everybody will turn on you. You cannot, cannot, cannot do both. Like, those of us who stand in Christ, you know, we might love our neighbors we might get along with them everything else but if you dig in hard enough it will bite you um and i'm not saying that as a weird conspiracy thing it's just the truth of it um romans 12:2 actually gives a great instruction uh do not be conformed to this world but be transformed of it or from it by the renewing of your mind and the idea is don't don't put things off don't compromise don't give up like like, and it's easy to do. It's easy to look at those websites that, you know, you hope your spouse doesn't catch you looking at, like the pornography stuff. Like, it's easy to do that, right? It's easy to, like, make everything about, like, like, the stuff you enjoy, your vacations, your toys, all of this other stuff. It is easy to do these things. It is easy, but we're called to be transformed out of the world. Does that mean we can't enjoy the world? No. The world is a gift. It's a blessing. But we're not to become like the sinful part of the world. We're not to go east into... By the way, east, every time you see something bad in that part of the Bible, it's always east of wherever you are. It's kind of a weird trend. We're called not to go east. We're to go west. Make your mind like the mind of Christ. Last thing, and I added this from Sunday school this morning, so this would be over, but it's Adam's fault. Um, We're to walk in him continuously and in community with the church as a body, as family. So we look at each other and we're family and God has given us gifts to serve each other. In doing that, we're constantly reminded of how to overcome. We're constantly reminded of our mission because it's easy to forget, isn't it? I have really bad ADHD. I'll walk into a store and I walked into the store the other day. I lost my cart five times while I was there. And like once it was on the other side of Walmart. And I was like, how did I lose my cart this bad? This is not... But, like, if we're surrounded by people, like I take my daughter usually, and she's pretty flaky too, but she keeps up with the cart. Or my wife who says, Eric, we're not here for this. Do what we're here to do. Like, if we walk as the church, if we are in relationship with each other, each other can remind us. Each other can encourage us. Each other gives us opportunities to serve Christ by loving our brothers and sisters in this place. Um, and that's why we have gifts from God is so that we can serve each other and so we can love each other and so we can be the body. Um, I would highly recommend great book. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, Life Together. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany, and he uh, actually escaped and came back to preach the gospel in Nazi Germany. Like, like he was away, and then he was arrested and executed in a concentration camp. And Bonhoeffer wrote this book, Life Together, about living with other believers during this time. And they, like, they, they talked about their sins with each other. You know the stuff you lay in bed and you hope nobody ever hears about? They would talk openly about it. And like Bonhoeffer said, look, the reason that we don't want to do that is because, like, oh, well, I prayed silently and confessed it to God. No, you're not confessing it to God because if you knew who God was, you'd be scared of him. Like, it would be more scary to confess to God than other people. We confess to other people because it forces us to own our stuff. They would read the scriptures together, pray together, encourage each other. And I think that's what made it possible for Bonhoeffer to do the things he did, to face face the world and to die for Christ. That is what we are called to do. That's what we're called to be. Um, I got a lot more to say about it. Sunday school kind of set this on fire and ruined the sermon. Thanks, Adam. Uh, (laughs) No, it was huge. Like you spoke right into my brain and heart. Um, but my challenge for you guys is to look at your life. Look at who you are and ask this question. Have I committed to following Christ? Or am I making a home where I'm at? Am I making this place into the most important thing? My my mortgage payment, my retirement fund, and, and my weekend plans. And is, is Sunday just a thing I do? Or is Sunday an expression of everything else that's in the week? Are you traveling as God directs you? Or are you telling God, this is where I want to go and you're going with me? Are you looking at the world and saying, man, I sure would love to follow Jesus, but like, you know, the Internet has some cool stuff. Have you been there? Or, you know, like this is my stuff. Why would I take care of other people or whatever? Like, like are you following Christ or are you looking for a home in this world? Um, and my challenge to you is if you figure out one or the other, like, like this is the place to be. Stay away from the east. Go in the west. Um, We're going to pray. I know I'm a little long. Sorry. I know I just can't this year. Heavenly Father, I pray you would be with us. I pray that you would help us to overcome this inclination, this desire to find... Um, to find a permanent home where we don't belong, to say, man, Sodom looks pretty. Man, Sodom looks good. They got great restaurants. They got great you know, nightlife. Well, not so great of nightlife, but like, like help us to overcome that temptation to make the world all there is. Help us to find brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to hunger and thirst after Christ himself. And help us to know that this world is not our home eternity, and our reward is, is our home. That is where you're calling us. That's what you redeemed us to do. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good day, guys. I know I, I appreciate y'all listening to me so long.